Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns-Walker. Together, we welcome you to the Butterfly Forecast. Seismishi. Hi. (laughs) It's not a crowd this time, it's just us. So what are we talking about today? I was thinking about talking about how we really need to understand the idea of um, why the goal of a human being, why one of the very important things is to become a mirror. And you've shared many times on this podcast the power of mirroring and what it's been for you. Mm -hmm. And I guess I've been thinking about how much people, all people long to be mirrored. Or seen. Seen, heard, understood, acknowledged, received, impact, felt the impact of of their presence. And if we uh, feel a person really witnesses us, Mm -hmm. truly mirrors us in every way, it's so interesting how we don't need to judge ourselves. Mm. And it frees us from the need to judge others as well. If we understood that the goal, the objective, you know, I think right now everyone wants, quote unquote, the truth about things, but only according to little tiny truth bites. And that according to whatever paradigm they're living, according to what society says is true. Mm. And society is in need of great evolution. So if that's the source that we're looking for truth, then every time we see people, there's an enormous assessment going on in a very limited way. And it has nothing to do with mirroring. It has to do with assessing and judging. And that we have no right to judge anybody, but we do have the opportunity to observe them and understand them and get to know them and create bridges with them and support them on their way. What could be sweeter than being mirrors? So what I was thinking about, Sushi, is how many times you and I have talked about this and also how you can't be a mirror if you don't know the source. Mm. You know, light comes through mirror. You cannot see a mirror in pitch darkness. You need light to see anything in a mirror. And even a little bit of light is sufficient to see a reflection in the mirror. But the more light, the more you see. And the more you see, the more beauty gets unpacked. Mm -hmm. Extraordinary qualities become apparent. And I even think that's what's so desperately needed with groups of people. Mm. Like we're not mirroring each other. We're coming from these ancient, myopic, grossly limited views, almost like a lens that has nothing but dust on it. What are you going to see through that? Yeah, it's interesting because I I've, I mean, I know we've been talking about this too, but I've been thinking so much about our different realities, like our divine reality and then our physical reality. Mm. And I was thinking about how not until recently... I had somebody close to me pass away and it was the first time I had ever seen a dead body. And I thought that I would be so scared because I'm so chicken, you know, of everything. But 
it was actually wasn't scary to me. It was strange, but I the first thing that I thought was, oh, she's not in there anymore. Mm. She's not there. It was just a vehicle for her. Like that body served her and that body belongs here. And the earth is essentially an eternal tomb. Yes. You know, it started there for me. And then I started thinking about our divine reality, not just individually, but in groups and how even the earth itself with devoid of spirit is nothing, you know, it's just a container and us devoid of soul or spirit or whatever that thing is that animates us is nothing. And then, so then it it kind of takes us to the source of all of that. Like, what is that part of us called to what, where does that part of us come from? Mm. And how do we see that part of us? Because that's where I want to feel seen is on the inside, not the outside. On the outside, it's so easy to be seen. You can figure that out with clothing or makeup or you find your things. It's sort of like your outfit for what you want to be available for, what kind of attention you want. But then how are we really truly seen? And how do we learn to speak that language? Because that's what I've been yearning for. It's like, how do I deepen that? And Mm. you really have to go. I remember you said one thing to me one time and I loved it so much and I've been carrying it with me. And it said, you said that inside of us, there's a universal magnet that is meant to attract us to whatever is for us. We just have to be able to go in. Yes. And actually that's multi-layered because even the brain and the fluid of our body, the plasma and the blood and the water actually are magnetic. Water is a conduit. So it draws us to whatever our belief systems are focused on. So then imagine if we aligned that with our design rather than the impulses of survival that come from history. And also, can we claim to have an inside if we don't acknowledge that we didn't design it? You know, how can we get in touch with what you're talking about, the abstract and eternal part of us, whatever language we want to give to it? Like you said, when you saw your friend who had passed, they were no longer present in this body, in that garment. But then that makes us ask ourselves, well, then if I am here, what is that? And Mm. how do I become more of it? And also, I think it's time we start really taking what's going on in the world more seriously by healing it. And then that means we have to acknowledge a very huge misnomer, which is that we are not the creator. Mm. We can't become a substitute for the creator. And we have to get over our issues that there is a designer you know, of the planets and the stars and their rhythm and their pattern and the infinity that surrounds us. We have nothing to do with it. We've got to start allowing, quote unquote, God, God to be God. (laughs) We have to get on with how we fit in to the universe and its universe, because then 
Imagine that part you're talking about would be all we'd be interested in from now on. Yeah. We have occupied ourselves with even, you know, our adornments, you Mm -hmm. know, what clothes we want to wear and what that conveys to the world. But what if instead of wearing fashion that conveys an image, it was the garment that portrayed why we're here? Yeah. That'd be cool. I don't even know what that would look like, but I love it. (laughs) I think you do it. I think you already design it, Sushi. Even with letting God be God, it's so hard because we have no idea what God is. The moment we start to define God in any way, shape, or form, I feel like we're already headed down the wrong path because you're already worshiping something that you don't even, that that's not true. Yeah. I feel like it's where religion comes in, which mm. is complicated for people because the thing is if prophets or manifestations really are who they say they are, like a perfect mirror of God in human form, then that's the closest that our little minds can understand like what God is. And I feel like for me, The only evidence of God, aside from being my favorite designer, (laughs) is its virtues. You know, it's like, what would kindness actually look like? What would Mm. honesty actually look like? What does nobility actually look like in its purest sense? But even with each one of those little things, we have so many things in the way of that. Mm. Even something like loyalty. It's like, I thought loyalty meant something completely different until I started meditating and I went in and asked what loyalty Mm. looked like. And it showed itself as something completely different. And I was like, wait, so I don't have to sacrifice myself to make this person that's my quote unquote friend comfortable anymore? Because, you know, I thought that that me sacrificing who I am to make somebody that I loved comfortable was loyal. Yes, but loyalty is a complicated concept. If the definition of loyalty is to be loyal to something that's dogmatic and not based on the mirrored truth, the reflection. And see, that is why I think it's so important we release God to be what it is, which is the unknowable that no one can know. Just like you're saying, like the most great spirit and the uncreated. And I love the group of Native American spiritual leaders in the South, the Southern Seers, who call it the great mystery. We have to always remind ourselves the great mystery is never going to be solved. And we need to be at peace with that. Because if we can be at peace that nobody is going to know the Creator, then no one can wage holy wars. And we cannot judge peoples. And all we can do is get to know it like you're describing. That's the bridge, a limitless path of wonderment searching for the beloved everywhere in your life because only you are going to see evidence of it. Nobody can see through your inner lens. Just like nobody can feed and mirror you 
in a way that you will understand. You know, when you receive it, it feels so good. And then we move away from all the horrible propaganda that has created the sicknesses and instilled so much rage from the injustices that thinking anyone has the power to govern or rule or dictate what another person is or becomes. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I was also just thinking about this last night is that Mm. how everything that's in the invisible isn't valuable because our society Mm. has been based on such a like heteropatriarchal standard that if it's not counted and measured, it has no value. People don't know how to assign value to something that can't be counted and measured or quantified Mm. in Mm. some way. If you think about it that way, it completely eliminates the feminine because Mm. so much of our mad skills come from our intuition and instinct in a lot of ways. And the way that we receive information sometimes isn't logical and because that's not quantifiable or it doesn't have a standard, so to speak, or a reference point that it's Mm. not valuable. Mm. Sushi, I couldn't agree more, but I also think the feminine hasn't been valued for sure, which is why we haven't been empowered outside of ourselves. You know, it has to come from within. But also the masculine has been sold the same lies for the same reason, which is to say that only things that can be measured and valued are valuable. And that means they are not valuable if they don't express it in quantifiable ways, which is why there is such an explosion of exploration about what is gender, And I don't think that um, the goal is to get rid of gender. I think it's to get rid of every preconceived notion of what gender looks like and what you are free to express and what you carry and all those attributes and gifts that come with it. We haven't even been able to marvel at one another as compliments because we haven't unleashed the limitlessness we carry. There's just so much fear-mongering that's been projected that people have been squashed in a box, and no one wants to be squashed in a box anymore. But I think that until we unpack this very important piece of understanding how to free yourself, then we're not going to get to something better, and that is we must firmly place on our shoulders the responsibility to independently investigate truth as we understand it and hold ourselves accountable to it and hold others accountable to it. So if one has investigated truth and discovers it, that's a bond between us. If you see my worth and you don't give me my due, then that is on the other person. That's on them and vice versa. Same for me. So moment by moment, act by act, We are accountable for it, but we have to go further than we've gone before because we're not going to be able to solve all the problems that we are just inundated with until we're free to explore our anger, explore our pain, address and heal the hurts, 
and then start to build some real bridges based on truth and what we really are. You know, it reminds me, Sushi, so much about um, the becoming a traditional healer in uh, Sub-Sahara, Africa. In my um, training years and the graduation years, I had to constantly read the bones, the diagnostic tool where you're looking at every symbol. It's just symbols. You could see the whole periodic table of elements and symbolic form and when you throw bones and your ancestors and your genetics and the people you're surrounded by and your culture and your work and your calling. So it's really so beautiful as you throw the bones out for each person. Your intentions are nothing more than to witness them as they are not as they've been taught they are or you've been taught things are. And then to articulate it as clear as possible. It is the most beautiful experience to be mirrored and to see it laid out, what a joy it was because you're fitting into the universe perfectly. There's never a problem fitting into the universe. It's just I think we get into huge problems when we don't investigate the truth. Wait, but what do you mean? How do you how do you investigate the truth? Say that there is a pain you have or a, mm. you know, something that you have to address. Where do you mm. start? It's the ultimate abstract, isn't it? If something happened, an exchange between me and someone, and it causes me pain, then I, as soon as I'm able to, go into my own humble place, humble posture, get on my prayerful stance, go inside where I can feel connected and put it out to the one that designed and created me. And so what I do is I put it out there. I put my pain there. I look to see, well, show me, show me where this pain is coming from. Have I stepped out of balance? Have I done something I'm accountable for? Do I need to make amends here or change my way or my approach or my relationship? And as some information, which it always does, comes back to me, I start to work on that. Sometimes it's not in my hands and it had nothing to do with me. And I would say often when that happens, I'm as surprised as a person could be. Like, what do you mean this had nothing to do with me? I thought I did something wrong. But when you see it laid out and where you begin to observe is where another person may not be free to be truthful or honest with themselves. And that is why they responded in a hurtful manner or projected responsibility onto me when in fact it's theirs. Then I can trust in them, in that invisible part of them and say, Peace be with you on your path. I hope you find what you need. If we do this, see how much less division we can experience. We can always mm. get to the root of things. Clarity, man. It's priceless. What about you, Smushi? What do you do? Um, it depends on where I'm at emotionally, but uh, sometimes I journal and I just process mm. it that way. But I think I always take it to the creator. I just sort of bring it like an offering and mm. ask for 
assistance and guidance and just figure out what to do with it. Yeah. And then once you do, don't you feel like you're free and you can evolve and move on? Sometimes. (laughs) Mm, Some things have deeper roots. Yeah. Sometimes Mm -hmm. things have deeper roots. And so I have to keep working them, which is, I think, where I've become stronger as I've gotten older, because I've Learn that there are certain things that you do need to work at until you get to the root. And sometimes it takes a while to get to the root. Oh, yes. I mean, some challenges stay with us our whole life. And some miraculously we get to the bottom of and like, that's that. It doesn't ever come up again. But I also think that you're not here alone. So if someone has a hidden agenda, that's the most difficult of all because They're just not ready to see you evolve. They're not ready to let go of their MO. And so they're not ready to see you change and grow and evolve. Like, have you ever bumped into someone from your past? And maybe you had some difficulties, but you've since moved on, but they have not. Sometimes it's very difficult for people to see you. They'll try to bring you back. I think John Bradshaw, such a master, addresses by calling it change back. They try to reorchestrate a conversation or a dynamic to pull you back into that familiar pattern. For anyone who's listening, John Bradshaw really unleashed a flurry of information about codependency and um, so many dynamics of a dysfunctional or unhealthy relationship so that you can recognize it and take your place, walk your walk, and not do the work of others and not take on their projections. But I think it's really quite a challenge that this thing about a hidden agenda is exactly why We are in many of the stranglehold positions politically today because the powers that be don't want change and don't want others to know there can be change. We don't know that there would be more prosperity if we work together and unleash all our mad skills as a unified force. Or maybe we do know that there'd be more prosperity, but based on how the world is structured now, only 5% of the world has that prosperity. Yes. It's designed that way. Whereas if we were to really do it, there would be much more even prosperity across the board. Absolutely. But placed within ourself, like that abstract part of ourself, and then the finite part of ourself, the part that has all these different needs here. These two need to work together so that we can really be educated. Real education would be like you often share how you wish, you know, there was the equivalent of a Hogwarts. And I so agree with you. Like we need to understand our magical powers. We need to know our mad skills, unpack them, polish them, not only use them for our own gain, which is perfectly fine, but also factoring in all others, Mm -hmm. not just some others. Like we've gone too far. You can't pretend that we're not all here together. Well, I mean, it goes back to 
uh, starting this conversation, it's like if the body is nothing without the soul or the spirit that animates it, then all material objects are really nothing without the Mm. soul or the purpose, the divine purpose in which animates it. So Mm. it's like, do we really just want to collect material things without Mm. them having a purpose for us or for others? Especially if when you really think about it, the entire world is a tomb. It's an eternal tomb. It's just where we're all going to be buried. That's true. And if that wasn't seen as a morbid topic, we would really be about our business much earlier and even educate our children, all our young, to prepare for life as short or as long as it might be. No matter how long, like the longest life is still a blink of an eye and we're in this very temporary state here. As you say, the earth ultimately is our tomb, but until that moment, it is our laboratory and our place to create and design a betterment, a better world until that moment. Imagine this visual of people birthing, waking up, contributing, making something creative and brilliant, and then finishing up and repairing that body back to that earth without it being morbid or scary, without it being sad. You know, they're finished. We have a while to get there. I know I do. (laughs) I'm still sad. (laughs) But Smushi, you and I always talk about this for all the years we've known each other that we really hope we do, that we get to do the most we came here to do and affect the best of influences while we're here, bettering those around us if it is in our power to do so. Like what could be sweeter than that? Oh, no, it's so true. You said something that I wrote down. It's been my prayer every day, which is show me my most efficient path to expressing my design. Yeah, what a constantly beautiful path. I mean, what could be even sweeter? Like you're saying, what is all this material realm for? But to make the connection like as many connections as possible to bring the light here. Mm -hmm. If we understand that the divine is not what we've been running from through the oppression of others, but the creator, the light. In my near-death experiences, I was never introduced to the light by a name. That would be so limiting It was the light of all, the light of the light. It was something that I can never, ever describe. But, you know, these beautiful concepts of the creator, the comforter, like something that has endless capacity to receive all of our problems, challenges, quests, desires, aspirations, and creations, and turn them into even more through its light. Imagine if that's what this was the plane to do and nothing more. Smishy, when you said that, I don't know why, when you said in your near-death experience, I just imagined you in a club, like outside of the club, waiting for the light to see you (laughs) or to be introduced to the light. (laughs) Smishy, club of one. It was a club of one. Yeah. All by my 
my you in the nightclub. <laughs> yeah, that's the truth. Aww, definitely the darkness. But that is like such a thrilling thing to unleash here. When are we going to do that, Smishy? I think we need enough of us <laughs> to believe in it or to be on board with that invisible, with the existence of the invisible, with mm. the with all of that. And I think that that's really, I feel like that needs to be catered in by the feminine. Mm. It's our responsibility almost to sort of usher that in. I mean, even last week when I was on the reservation in North Dakota, it's such a part of life. Yes, It's yes. just a given. There's the ancestors, there's the creator. You're in relationship with them all day long with everything, through everything. There's no weirdness about it. You don't have to explain yourself. No. Yeah. Everyone's overjoyed when you have an encounter with spirit, whether it's a spirit animal or a dream. Everyone's overjoyed. It feels so freeing to be like, yes, I have permission to be in relationship with the world around me. Like nature is filled with messages and information. Should we be available to it? Should we be aware of it? And sometimes there's almost a little bit of shame there or like weirdness if you're in relationship with that because there's so many naysayers that think that, oh, you know, whatever. Smishy, I think that's about people really being afraid that you'll have power over them more than they have power over themselves. And so what you actually hear in return often, if you have a spiritual experience, is who do you think you are or some version of it. But you can always remind yourself and them, I am as you are, spirit. And I'm here to manifest the light of it as much as humanly possible. Come join me in our quest to bring it to everyone. You see, we're still reacting instead of being embodied on just what you were mentioning. We are here to live that design. Our purpose is nothing less than a miraculous design. Embracing this is to free the infinite mysteries of the active force and that which is its recipient. These mysterious twin forces that are always in relationship with each other. And so we have to move away from anything that polarizes things, in other words, to cause conflict, but rather study polarizing forces and see how they interact productively. As in all over the world, there are the very peoples that have been marginalized here in this country and in this culture, what could be more so an example of Native American families and all black and brown peoples? Anyone made to feel like they have been lesser than and treated as such, not treated as the people, have had no choice but to still be the spiritual power that they are, which you can never quench, can never quench the light of why we're here. So I think it's very exciting when everyone knows we have the same purpose. For me, it's just exciting the knowing of the possibilities. When something resonates as truth, when somebody shares something and you're like, yes, I believe that to be true. And then mm. my next thought is, 
whoa, that's possible. <laughs> that's so cool. We can yes. get information like that, or that's available to us, or that kind of healing is available in this way, or whatever. It's limitless. But I feel like that makes me think of another aspect of being the mirror that you are, and that is being content with the mirror that you are. And sometimes I think we have commercialized the concept of people's spiritual gifts and tools that are part of their design. We're not one size fits all. We are all here for a great mission and purpose with multiple facets, of course, but you are never going to be somebody else's gift. So we must stop being jealous and mystifying other people's gifts and just simply appreciate it. However, what you are sharing when you hear about someone doing something and you go, whoa, we can do that? Yes, we can, but first you better decide and discover and explore and investigate the truth. Is that in you? Is that part of you? It's like I even have so many, um, I was very, very fortunate when I grew up, I would say quite a few of my friends were very altruistic at a young age. Like one friend knew he wanted to be a physicist. Two friends knew they wanted to be doctors. One, she always wanted to be a brain uh, work in like neurosurgery. And she did that. They all did that. But one thing is so fascinating to me, having known them from the beginning, is once they became qualified, educated in those capacities, they discovered it wasn't exactly what they thought. And they had to refine it and specialize it. It's like, I could do that, but I don't want to do that anymore. I think what I'd like to do is use this skill but use it here in a whole different capacity. And I think we need to allow for that as well. So, you know, I've heard many people recently, especially the last five years, seems a lot of people in our country have become coaches, life coaches, health coaches, nutrition coaches, fitness coaches, coaches. Yeah. <laughs> and so, and they're certified and there's like all these certification programs and I think that's beautiful and, and wonderful, but the quest is, is it really their most efficient and effective design? Maybe it's true. Maybe we've entered a time when so many people have discovered that they've grown up without guidance or balance or help or support or tools. That We need a bunch of coaches, and that's really cool. But I suspect if we look a little further down the line, you know, to serve humanity, takes a lot, like a steady hand. You have to hollow yourself out every day. You have to be a servant of people. You can't just imprint a paradigm. So you have to make sure, you know, ask yourself the question, am I called for this? Whatever it is, whether you're a mechanic or you're a surgeon or you're a coach or you make cupcakes, am I called to this? Because then we see some real magic happen. Sorry, Smushi, I kind of got away with myself. No, I love that. I love that so much. <laughs> if we can just accept what we are first, in a way, even accepting our pain and what we come from, since none of us come from the golden age, maybe it's time we really accept it with love and light and joy and the real 
pure, honest truth. The first time I ever heard somebody tell me their story, like how they healed from a terrible, terrible, abusive family, I couldn't believe someone could say that out loud. Mm. My thought was, what? You're allowed to tell a friend about that? I thought that's taboo. I thought we're supposed to carry that to the grave. Yeah. And they were like, oh, no, honey. If I didn't tell somebody, I'd be dead. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. oh, wow, sharing is healing. And then they get yeah. to find their path. <laughs> oh, totally. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I came from a family that does not believe in therapists. Like, <laughs> yes. what? You're going to pay pay somebody and go tell them? Or No, it's only for crazy people. Like, you have to be crazy. Smushi, what do you think, like for you, how do you allow yourself to change, to not be pulled back into not being seen? Oh gosh, it's still such a process that I feel like I'm in right now. But I think if I have enough awareness about something or if I'm able to recognize a pattern of something and I have a good grasp of it, then I never want to step into that pattern again. Mm. It's like that short poem that's like, I walk down a street and I fall into a hole. I walk down a street. I see the hole and I still fall into it. And then the last version of it is I walk down the street, I see the hole and I walk around it. (laughs) Yes. I love that. In a way, isn't that like how we evolve in any path? Yeah. But I think Mm. it's also, it's a combination of things for me. It's like when I understand what it means you know, if it's in a relationship that I'm a part of, if I understand the dynamic, that's sort of one layer for me. And then when I understand how that person is trying to use that dynamic or what mm. they're trying to get from me, yeah, that's another. And then when I'm like, wait a second, this is what they're trying to do with that. Because the way that I usually come to change is because of pain or discomfort. So it'll be something that props up like guilt. I hate the emotion of guilt. I hate it so much. And so I just dig and dig and dig. And I'm like, why do I feel guilty about this? I'm not doing anything wrong, but that's not enough. I need to understand it deeper and deeper. It's like what we were talking about, getting to the root. And then when I fully understand it, then I can make a change. And then I start to notice it in everywhere in my life. And then I make the real change, but it's always in these slow (laughs) processes, which I wish would take so much longer. I mean, shorter. Yeah. Well, you know, we've been mostly educated everything like by a paradigm and then taught by rote. You know, in other words, imitate this and this is the answer. I'm always enamored with people who get there from the inside, the abstract part of us, because they didn't get the mentoring to help them. As you know, I've been watching my husband, Ra, do 
uh, started at the beginning of COVID because we live in this little apartment together. <laughs> We're in our little snow globe uh, 24-7. I work out of the house. I live in here. You know, we do, we have like this long table and he's at one end, I'm another. We create stuff at night together, but separately. And I started noticing he was drawing and drawing and designing. And I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, this concept I've been like thinking about. And then I was like thinking more about it. And then it kept coming to me. It's this design. And then he kept drawing it. And it then became a logo. And he, as you know, I'm wearing his, actually his shirt he made for you and I. Real Mine is his logo, but he has now made so many designs and he cannot be stopped. Like he's worked this long day at work downtown, comes home, starts designing. Now he's already got his trademark. Now he's copywritten. Now he's got all these abilities to sell anywhere in the world. He's filled out his forms. And I was like, nobody taught you to do this. How have you done this? And he was like, I don't know. It never occurred to me that I couldn't. And he had just recently drawn this one design and we took it over to visit my dad because he's an artist. And my dad looked at Ra, he was astonished, and he goes, Ra, I don't understand. Like, I went to the design school, the Bauhaus School of Design, to do exactly what you're doing. Where did it come from? And Ra was looking at me, he goes, well, Pop, I don't know. It just came from me. Yeah. I love that place. I love that. And I love the part of, like, it never (laughs) dawned on you that you couldn't do it. And that's when you're talking about feeling guilt, the twin pest of guilt is ashamed, like shame or feeling self-defeat when you haven't even started. Yeah. I just often think, what would society be like? We'd be a society of mature souls if we allowed ourselves to do this together. Mm, That's so true, Smishi. Yeah. So cool. Well, we get so in our conversation, and I always think about the listeners with us. I just assume they know we think of them too. But I just want to say for all the listeners who have been with our podcast, we think of you too. And we hope your <laughs> our conversations are also with you answering your answers as we unfold our petals. Malsmishi, thank you. Thank you, Smishi. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time. Thank you.